halfway. Okay, here we go. God knows. Amen. I believe that, you know, what's happening right now is what I started to sense is that we've already shifted into a, into a season. Probably about two months ago, I was starting to get this, this feeling, and I was talking to my wife saying, man, I don't know what's wrong. I'm feeling a bit, you know, unsettled. But I couldn't actually figure out what that unsettling was. And then about a month ago, we came to church as usual. We were doing our service in the house, and then as we were driving home, I turned around and I said, hey, what's happened? And she said, oh, I don't know, what has happened? Something shifted. And so the shift took place. And as the shift took place, I started thinking, what is the shift? What is the shift, Lord? And then it started to dawn on me. And the one thing that started to dawn on me was we've just entered into a new season for the next seven years of harvest. Nothing like New Zealand or the Pacific nations have ever seen before. But I believe that God is about to move. What we must know is that when God moves, here's the key. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we say, well, what does that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because what I want to do is I want to demonstrate to you, straight out of the word of God, God's ways. Not our ways, not our thoughts, but his ways. So I just want to, there's going to be two sections tonight. The first bit deals with God and his sovereignty and the enemy. The second bit will deal with the church or the believer, those who declare that they are disciples of Jesus Christ. When both pictures come together, you'll see what God was showing me when he said to me, tell them God knows. Oh, a bit slow off the mark, that one. Okay, so we'll just start off reading. So I'm just going to read a little bit, and then I'll get into it. So in the book of Acts, chapter 9, there's a famous story in there, and it's called Saul's Conversion. So we're just going to start in, oh, look at that. You're good, all right, Jen. Here we go. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see, or he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Tonight I'm here to tell you what a great picture that is. Do you know why it's a great picture? I'll tell you right now. First of all, you have to look at Saul. Most of us know him as Paul. He was the one who wrote, well not wrote, but he contributed a lot of the New Testament that we all read and know the theology, how to live, the law. 
and how grace came about. So here this man is, Saul. If you go back a couple of chapters earlier, this man Saul was the very one who stood by while they stoned Stephen to death. And you know what he said? He was standing there saying, yeah, good on you, die, you Christian, die. Why was that? Because Saul grew up on the other side. You see, Saul was alive when Jesus was there. Saul would have heard all of these rumors. He would have heard all the healings, all the deliverances that were taking place, all the people running to him. But I'll tell you one thing. Saul heard it, and all that did was it bred hatred in him. And so even though he did not walk with Jesus at that time, one thing he did do was he heard everything about what Jesus was doing. Now you've got to realize, Saul was out to kill any Christian. How do we know that? Word of God just said, murderous threats. What's murderous threats? It's when someone's threatening you to kill you, not just saying, oh, let's go and beat him up. Saul was known throughout Damascus, throughout the Christian world, as one who would walk into the synagogues, pull you out, and kill you. Why? Because he just didn't like Christians. He didn't like the message. Here's the thing. He walked everywhere, and every time he saw someone, he either jailed you or he killed you. That is a dangerous man. Today we call those people crazy. We call them Serial killers, yep, assassins, we call them assassins, we call them dictators, you name it, Saul was at the top of the list. Here's the thing, he wasn't only just dangerous, he was educated. How do we know he was educated? The word of God describes him as one who was zealous, one who knew the word of God inside and out. How did he know it? It was because he was, he used to be a in the purest form of Judaism back in the day. So he grew up learning Judaism. So can you imagine? Here they are learning about the so-called Messiah, and here's a guy on the other side proclaiming he was the Messiah. That was blasphemy in his eyes. So he wasn't just a murderous man. He was also highly educated. What made him even worse than that, if you can get worse, is that he was well-connected. How do we know he was well-connected? It says that he went to the chief priests and he got authority. What authority did he get? He got authority to go into Damascus and slaughter any Christian that was there. That's authority. Here's the thing, though. Do you know that he had to go to the high priests to get authority? Did you know that the devil has to go to God to get authority to attack you? He just can't go out there and do it. He has to get the authority before he can act. So how does he get this authority? He gets it when we decide to do something that is out of the will of God. Then he approaches and he says, oh, look what they did. I want the authority to go out now and persecute them. And so what we have to do is we have to make sure that we're not doing things that are outside of God's will. Here's the thing, though. You've got a man. He's on a mission. He's well-educated. He's well-connected. So he has all the resources. And here he is. He's out there for one reason and one reason only. Massacre the church. Slaughter them. 
Can you imagine the conversation that took place once he got those papers in the hand? He would have went to his henchmen, he would have went to the jailers, and he would have said, boys, prepare the jails. I'm going to fill them up. Anyone out there who decides that they're not going to abide with us, we're just going to kill them on the spot. But prepare the jail. Not only prepare the jail, boys, with me, you have the authority to slaughter them as well. So anything praying, anything worshipping, anything declaring the name of Jesus dies when we arrive in Damascus. I'll tell you what, right now, there are people anointed to hate you. Did you know that? No matter how nice you can be, no matter what you do for them, they're going to hate you. Whether it's at your school, whether it's at your workplace, whether it's in your family, whether it's just out in community. Whether you're driving down the road, there are just people out there anointed to hate you and there ain't going to be nothing you can do about it. You can be nice to them. You can buy them a coffee. You can avoid them. I'll tell you what, when you avoid them, they always find you. It doesn't matter where you go. They'll always come up. You think you've dodged one, the next one will be in your face. I tell you, there are people out there to deliberately hate you. And this is what Paul was. Paul was out there and he was anointed to hate the church. He was anointed to destroy the church. That was his calling. And I want to encourage you, because now the message gets good. So here he is. He's on his way. He has just told them, get the jails ready. I'm coming back. Right throughout the whole land, everyone heard, this man is coming to Damascus. Can you imagine the Christians in Damascus? Oh, no. Now what are we going to do? I wanted to declare Jesus, but if we get caught, that could be the end of our family. He didn't care whether you were a mum or dad or whether you were a solo parent or whether you were a widow looking after children. He couldn't care less. He would have walked in, grabbed you off the spot, either taken you if you tried to do the old, oh, no, no, kill him, let's move on. So here he is. That's the whole scene he set up. And him and his boys are like, woohoo, we're off. We're off to murder, plunder, and do our business. And right then on the way, something happened. And this is what it was. Jesus Christ intervenes and stops him in his tracks. Here's the thing about stopping. When Jesus stopped him in his tracks, he not only stopped him, but he humbled him. How did he do that? It says that when Jesus showed up, he stopped immediately and he dropped to his knees. When you drop to your knees, that tells you you've just been beaten. No one drops to their knees because, oh, someone else has suddenly come to them and said, come on, let's have a fight. Oh, I'm just going to drop to my knees. No way. You keep swinging until they force you to drop to your knees. And this is what happened. He finally got there, and then he got dropped to his knees. Not only did he get dropped to his knees, he got blinded. I tell you, this story just keeps on getting better and better. Because here's the thing. How many times have we walked through this life where we shouldn't be sitting here? How many times has the enemy chucked things at us, and God showed up and stopped it? What about sickness? How many times you have been sick, and the doctors have written you off and said, there's no more hope, you should be dead. And Jesus stood up and said, stop. Boom, the enemy drops. No more sickness. What about, hey, I've, been in, uh, I've made some choices and I've been in cars where I should have been dead. I should have been wrapped around a tree. But you know what? 
as I was going there, Jesus intervened and stopped the enemy on its track. I want to give a prophetic word right here to people. No matter what you're going through, God knows exactly what you're going through, and he's going to stop the enemy in his tracks right now. You need to believe that. If he can stop it on the road to Damascus, and if he can stop it in your life from you getting to this meeting tonight, he can stop it right now. And I believe that God is stopping things in your life. You know what God can stop? Words that have been spoken. People may say that, oh, you are hopeless. You're never going to amount to something. When Jesus shows up, those words stop. And when those words stop, the curse stops with it. Not only does the curse stop with it, the curse is broken. Why is that? Was it anything we did? No, it was that Jesus showed up and stopped it in its tracks. And right now, I'm telling you, tonight you can walk out of this place free, knowing that the enemy has stopped you. That Jesus walked up and just said, stop. Here's the good thing about it. He didn't only say, stop. Paul stops in his tracks, drops to his knees, gets up. Now he's blind. But can you imagine it? Here's this man. Oh, I love this. Can you imagine this? Here's this man. He's with all of his thugs. Very good. He's, he's with all of his thugs, and he's like, yeah, when we get there, we're going to master them, we're going to slaughter them. Jesus shows up, whoa, what's happening? Doom drops to his knees. What's happening, Lord? Gets up. Now the man that was heading in to Damascus with all of his hatred is now blind. And can you imagine that? The very people he led had to lead him. Why did he have to lead him? he couldn't see no more. So this very man who was throwing out all these threats now becomes this, oh, I can't see. I need help. Please, someone help me. That's what happens when Jesus turns up in our lives and stops the enemy, just drops them to their knees, and then they become feeble and weak. But here's the thing, and I love this. Jesus just doesn't stop the enemy. Jesus speaks to Paul. And he says, Paul, go to this place and wait there. Isn't that just the love of Jesus? Not only just to stop someone who hates you, but he also has a future for them. And so let's pick it up. I love this. So I'm going to start at about all verse 10, Acts 9 verse 10. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes Lord. Can you imagine that? Here's Ananias in Damascus, doesn't know anything that's going on, and then God calls to him, Ananias. And what does he say? Yes Lord. How many times have we said that to God? Yes, Lord, use me, Lord. Here I am, sold out for you, 100%. Do anything, give anything, go anywhere, whatever you want, Lord. I'm there, I'm there. And God says, really? He says, yes, Lord, anything. Oh, and then this is what happens. Oh, I can see it. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. God knows. Come on, God knows. What an amazing name of a street, Straight Street. Unbelievable. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street 
and asked for a man from Tarshish named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Listen to the Christian who was 100% told out, send me anywhere, I'll do anything for you, Lord. Oh, Lord, I just want to worship you. Listen to this Christian. Ananias answered, Oh, but Lord, I heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar to anyone? Does that sound familiar to me? Hmm, yes, yes. I don't know how many times I've said, Lord, send me, use me, use me. And then all of a sudden something comes out. Ooh. Uh, what about someone else? I might pass up this assignment and take the next one. I'll take the harder one. But can you imagine this? All of a sudden, here's Ananias. He's locked in his prayer. He loves God. He wants to do everything God has for him. And then God shows up and says, Ananias, go to this house in Straight Street. And there you will find a man by the name of Saul. All of a sudden he thinks, hang on, hang on, hang on. I've heard this. I've heard this before. Saul. Saul's that murderous person. Saul's that person that's well educated that you can't argue the Bible with because they know more of it than you. Saul is that person that's well connected. When you think, oh yes, I'm going to get out there and save this person or reach out to this person, the other very one sitting there thinking, oh, you're a Christian. I've got more stuff than you. Look at all the friends I hang out with. Hmm. And you think that you're going to convert me? So here's this whole picture of Ananias in this whole place where he's like, oh, are you sure, Lord? Are you sure? But here's the thing. Where are we? He says, Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your servants in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Here's the challenge. This picture is a representation. Ananias represents the church or represents the believer. Well, let's make it personal. Represents each one of us. Here's the thing. Right now, we are sitting in this church and there are people out there that we have heard are out to get us. The easiest thing is to turn away from them, is to make sure that we keep our distance. But what we don't know is what God has already done. In this story, Ananias didn't know 
that God had already dealt with Saul, he's still believing the reports that he heard yesterday. You see, here's the thing. When God shows up, God doesn't need to Facebook you to find out what's happening in your life. He doesn't even need to Twitter you to give you updates on his progress. All he does is he already goes out. So while you're out there worshiping and praying, thank you, Jesus, oh, I love you, God's already out there. And he's already talking. And he's already showing the enemy that was against you, those who hated you, he's already humbling them right now. But here's the key. When he shows up at your doorstep and says to you, go to these people, what are you going to do? See, this is a test. And the test that Jesus places on Ananias is a test of humility. He knows that this man is out to kill him. He doesn't know all the details. All he knows is this man is out to kill him, out to get him. And now the test comes. Is he humble enough to humble himself and believe God? Because if he is, the greatest blessing will take place. And that soul will not only get his eyesight back, but he'll become one of the greatest revivalists in the Bible. But then it came down to his choice. And what was his choice? Do I listen to God? Or do I listen to the reports? I'm here to tell you right now, it doesn't matter what report is out there. It doesn't matter what you've heard even just before you come in here. God knows everything. And so even though we may be sitting in here thinking and thinking, oh, I don't really know how it's going to work. I don't really know how it's going to work. I'll tell you what, it's already worked. Your part in it is to hear God saying go. And when God tells you to go and you go, all is already set up for you. Amen? Does anyone believe that? Amen. So right now I'm telling you, God has an assignment. See, when I first started off and I said that something had shifted and we're going to start to see the Pacific nations, I'm not just talking about New Zealand, I'm talking about Australia, I'm talking about all of the um, Fiji, Tonga, all of the Pacific nations that sit with us. When the shift took place, it took place. When God moves, it doesn't matter whether you decide you're going to believe it or not. Whose report are you going to believe? God's or the reports that we've heard? Oh, nothing's really happening there. Nothing's ever happened there. I remember that they went to a Camberley outreach yesterday. People said, oh, nothing happens in Camberley. Well, we sent a team there. Why? Because people heard and God said, go. And so they went. That's how we start to usher in what God has already proclaimed. So if we're now in this time where God is saying, harvest, we're in harvest mode. The test is, are you humble enough to believe God or to believe the reports? Choice is yours. Just want to finish with a quick testimony. I love this testimony. It's a fresh as. No, not that fresh. But here it is. This young man that's close to my heart. When he grew up, I grew up knowing him. And the words that were spoken about him were not very nice. They was like, oh, you're a loser. Gee, your brother's better than you. 
you know, all of that stuff. Went through school, wasn't the brightest. Played sport, wasn't the best. You know, while his brother was on the wing scoring tries and getting all of this glamour stuff, he was in the forwards as a prop. And then every time we look up, where, where is he, where is he, where is he? Oh, there he is. He's back at the other goalpost. Well, his brother's down the other end scoring all these tries. Yeah, and this is no lie. His brother used to score like 11 tries a game. And this is only when they were juniors. And so he grew up, and even though he was the oldest, he grew up in the shadow of his younger brother. His parents even turned around and said to him, oh, I wish you were like him. And so this man grew up as a young boy hearing these things. By the time he got to roughly around 14 or 15, he was off the rails. Angry, violent, couldn't control him. At the age of 16, he had a child. Then the relationship broke up. And his partner then took his child. So he didn't really have too much say in the matter. He didn't really have too much to do with the child, even though he'd get the child every now and again. So here's this angry man growing up. One relationship broke up with a child, carries on through life, gets into another relationship, ends up in prison. And you can imagine what happens from there. It gets worse. He not only goes to prison regularly, but then he gets to a point and he starts searching. What is the purpose of my life? Why am I here? No one has the answers for him. So he decides that he's going to end it all, be better. Life would be better without him. So he tries it. He tries to take his life, and guess what? God showed up and stopped it in its tracks. And he was like, why? Why? Still an angry young man. Why? A few years later, tries exactly the same thing. What happens? God shows up, stops him in his tracks again. He's like, man, this is unreal. What is happening? Still going to jail, still going in and out of relationships. Oh, but here's the beauty of it. While he's on his track, and one time he's in prison, all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and says to him, I've always been there for you. You've been looking for this miracle, but I've been there. I stopped the enemy in its tracks when it tried to take your life. But Lord, I tried it. The enemy didn't try it. I did. I was the one who did it. God says, no, the enemy planted the thoughts in your head and made you believe that you weren't worthy but I was there because I knew you were worthy and so in this cell he starts to get a revelation hey I don't need to look for God in the light God has always been with me in the darkness I just haven't seen him what even makes it even more interesting is when he comes out of prison for the last time he gets his mongrel mob patch. And you think, oh, how can God touch a man? And then he gets his mongrel mob patch. So now he's got his mongrel mob patch. I see him probably three weeks ago. And he comes up to me and he says, oh, I've found the Lord. And I was like, awesome. But as I'm looking at him, he's got a little red scarf around his neck. And I think, oh, here we go. I'm like, oh, that's really awesome. So you found the Lord? He's like, yep, found the Lord. I found the Lord. And he's telling me all the wonderful things about what God is doing in his life. And in the midst of it, he turns around and he says, oh, but I'm also a patch member now. 
I said, what, a patch member for Jesus? He said, no, for the mongrel mob, but I'm a prospector for Jesus. I was like, how do you figure that? I said, no, 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 you're a patch member for God, and you're prospecting all of those ones out. Here's the thing what he told me. Oh, I don't think I'm going to be in it for very long. I said, oh, why is that? He said, because every time I go to the pad, I'm preaching. I'm telling them about Jesus, and they don't like it. Why don't they like it? Because they know, oh, something's changed, something's different. How can this angry man go to this man who just talks about love and how to get your life right and how to get out of what you're caught in? And I look at him and I'm like, Lord, I never saw that coming. I was still believing the report that if someone is a gang patch member, they're beyond reach. But here he is. His last words to me was, you know what? I know God has placed me there. I know God gave me their patch so that I could be in there and reach these men. If I didn't have it, they wouldn't receive me. Figure that. So where are you right now? Where are you right now in life? Where are you placed? Have you had your Damascus experience? Or are you still waiting? Are you still journeying upon that, along that path? Because let me tell you right now, if you have to go back into your life and look at what has happened and how many times you should not be sitting here, that should be something that you should be glorifying God with. God knows you. God loves you. And God has a destiny and a purpose for you. Harvest is all about God's love. Not about the background that you've come from or the, what you're doing right now in life. It's about your future. See, the gospel always speaks about future, not past. Where are you going to? What are you going to be doing? But here's the good, cool thing about it. It's not only telling you about your future. It also tells you about, hey, bring people along. God wants to bring everyone into his kingdom. But it's up to us here tonight to choose it. And I just want to, I don't want to go on. I just want to say to you, if you haven't had your Damascus experience yet, if you haven't asked Jesus into your life, even though he has showed up time and time and time again, whether you ask for it or not, but he continues to show up and show up and show up. And that is because he loves you and because he created you. He has a destiny and a purpose for you. The choice is yours, whether you will choose that. Amen. So I just want to give you the opportunity that if you haven't received Jesus, it's really simple. You don't have to pray long prayers. In fact, the shortest prayer that I know of happened on the cross. Jesus in the middle, two men each side. Here's the fastest prayer I've ever heard. Lord, receive me. Let me be with you today in paradise. And Jesus turns to him and says, today, where I am, you will be also. How is that? And so tonight, if you don't know Jesus... I would encourage you, don't sit back, don't hold back. The biggest challenge you're going to have right now 
is what report do you believe? Do you believe the report that's saying right now, oh, everyone's going to judge you if you stand up. Oh, they're all going to laugh at you. Ah, stay back tomorrow. Give your life tomorrow. Don't worry about it right now. Or are you going to believe the report that Jesus said, I brought you here tonight. This wasn't no fluke. I moved heaven and earth. I put my son on a cross to get you here tonight. The choice is yours. The choice is yours.